You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. So I'll open the Word of God to our scripture reading this morning, Matthew chapter 10. He called his twelve disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out evil spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. These are the names of the twelve apostles. First, Simon, who was called Peter, and his brother Andrew. James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. Philip and Bartholomew. Thomas and Matthew the tax collector. James, son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus. Simon the zealot and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go, rather, to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, preach this message. The kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Do not take along any gold or silver or copper in your belts. Take no bag for the journey or extra tunic or sandals, or a staff, for the worker is worth his keep. Whatever town or village you enter, search for some worthy person there, and stay at his house until you leave. As you enter the home, give it your greeting. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If it is not, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, shake the dust off your feet when you leave that home or town. I tell you the truth, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Be on your guard against men. They will hand you over to the local councils and flog you in their synagogues. On my account, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say. For it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. All men will hate you because of me. But he who stands firm to the end will be saved. When you are persecuted in one place, flee to another. I tell you the truth, you will not finish going through the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A student is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the student to be like his teacher, and the servant like his master. If the head of the house has been called Beelzebub, how much more the members of his household? So do not be afraid of them. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed, or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? 
Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your Father. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Whoever acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before men, I will disown him before my Father in heaven. Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. He who receives you receives me. And he who receives me receives the one who sent me. Anyone who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And anyone who receives a righteous man because he is a righteous man, will receive a righteous man's reward. And if anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones because he is my disciple, I tell you the truth, he will certainly not lose his reward. Before we continue with our series on the gospel according to Mark, we've come to chapter 6, verses 7 to 13, which is our text for this morning. Calling the twelve to him, he gave, he sent them out two by two and gave them authority over evil spirits. These were his instructions. Take nothing for the journey except the staff. No bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals, but not an extra tunic. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, shake the dust off your feet when you leave as a testimony against them. They went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus, you're lying in bed. You've only been there for a short while. Sleep is slowly starting to take hold of your mind and body. You're in that twilight zone between sleep and wakefulness. Then all of a sudden you bolt upright in bed. You smell smoke. There's not a moment to lose. You've got to get out of the house quickly. You make sure the rest of the family gets out safely. And then, maybe, if there's still some time, you grab some of the things that are important to you. Maybe you grab them on the way out. Maybe the wedding picture. Some of your favorite CDs or DVDs. Maybe some family heirloom of special significance to you. But the urgency of the moment means that you can only take the things that really matter. After all, a fire is about to consume your house. It's an emergency. And that same sense of emergency and urgency pervades our text. Something big was about to happen. The Lord Jesus sends His disciples out to give notice about this coming moment of enormous consequences. 
And as he sends them out, the urgency is underlined with these words, Take nothing for the journey except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals, but not an extra tunic. You see, the disciples were not supposed to waste a minute with all kinds of extra things that they didn't need. No, the moment demanded that they get right down to business. There was something big just over the horizon. And the Lord Jesus wanted his disciples to get out there and announce it. This scene of emergency and urgency is painted with Old Testament prophetic colors. Mark deliberately sandwiches our text between two related stories. At the beginning of Mark 6, the Lord Jesus goes to Nazareth and he finds that a prophet can receive no honor in his hometown. In the verses following our text, we find out that being a prophet can be a dangerous business. John the Baptist was the last Old Testament prophet. And you know what happened to him. His job cost him his head. And now in our text, the Lord Jesus sends out the disciples with the same job. And so I preached to you God's word with this theme. The Lord Jesus sends his messengers with an urgent prophetic task. And we'll see the content of the message, the covenant recipients of the message, and then finally the consequences of the message. Many times there are two ways, at least two ways, to get a message across. You can speak with your words, or you can also speak with your actions. And in our text, the message is being brought across with both. And so to understand what the message really is, we have to look closer both at what is being said and what is being done. If we look at verse 7, we hear the Lord Jesus calling the twelve to himself. He sends them two by two and gives them authority over evil spirits. Later, in verse 13, we find that the disciples effectively wielded this authority. They cast out the unclean spirits. Not only that, but they also had power from the Lord to heal the sick. They anointed many sick people with oil. Now, this was probably not meant as some sort of medicine, as a medical technique, but rather it was a symbol of the power and of the presence of the Holy Spirit. Working through the disciples, through their ministry, the Holy Spirit brought a new beginning to many who had suffered long. What we should notice here is that something remarkable is happening. Some kind of breakthrough is taking place. The power of evil, the power and the consequences of sin, all those things are beginning to be reversed in some measure. And these earth-shaking prophetic actions didn't come all by themselves. No, our text is clear that these prophetic actions came along with prophetic words. Verse 12 says that they went out and they preached that people should repent. This implies that the Lord Jesus told them to go and do such preaching. 
And in fact, we read from the parallel passage in Matthew 10, and from Matthew 10, we know that that was, in fact, what the Lord Jesus told them to do. There was to be a preaching of repentance. Now, the question is, what does this repentance involve? What does it look like? Why does the Holy Spirit isolate this part of the message of the disciples as being the defining characteristic of their preaching? Well, repentance literally means changing your mind or changing your attitude. So in our text, what did people have to change their attitude about, their mind about? Well, these disciples, they were not just anybody's disciples. They were sent out as messengers of the Lord Jesus. In verse 12, it says that they preached that people should repent. Literally, it says that they heralded that people should repent. They were acting as heralds or ambassadors of the Lord Jesus. So, put two and two together when we think about the changed attitude. People had to change their thinking about Jesus Christ. They had to stop thinking that he was merely the carpenter from Nazareth, the fix-it man, the one who had never gone to the Jewish equivalent of a university. They had to stop thinking that he was merely the son of Mary, the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon. And what were they to think about Jesus instead? They had to come to see him as the fulfillment of all God's promises for a Redeemer and Messiah in the Old Testament. All the prophecies of the Old Testament, they took on flesh. They lived and they breathed and they they came to life in Jesus Christ. This repentance involved seeing Jesus Christ as the Messianic King, the one who had come to bring salvation, the one who had come to reconcile God to His people and vice versa. You see, the content of the message of the disciples was that the kingdom of God was breaking through with the ministry and work of the Lord Jesus. And again, this is made clear if we remember Matthew's account. Matthew 10.7, As you go preach this message, the kingdom of heaven is near. The disciples announced the coming of the king with their words. They demonstrated the coming of the king's reign with their actions, their actions of healing the sick and driving out the demons. They called people to repent of their old way of thinking about the king. And in all this, they acted prophetically, pointing to the reign of King Jesus. They were pointing to the the good news, the breaking through of his good kingdom. Some years ago, our family went to a science center somewhere in the States. And as many science centers do, Science World, they had a number of hands-on displays there. And one of them involved making a huge bubble. You let down a bar, 
about this wide, with a pulley down into a large rectangular bucket of soap. And then you'd pull up the bar and make this huge bubble. And then you'd use a, a fan to blow a shape into the bubble. And of course, you could only do that for so long before the bubble would suddenly and unexpectedly explode. The breaking through of the kingdom of God, the content of the message is like that wind blowing into a bubble about to explode. God's kingdom is pushing the limits, stretching the boundaries, about to break through and bring big changes into the world. The Lord Jesus teaches us in our text that the time is near when that bubble is about to burst. You don't know when. And for us, that means that the need is urgent to hear what the Lord is saying. He announces to us the good news. He says, I am king. And my good kingdom is breaking into the brokenness of this world and bringing change. And sure, we don't always see it clearly. We don't always see it as dramatically, maybe, as the the people in Jesus' day. We don't see demons being driven out and the sick being healed in the same miraculous numbers. But yet, yet, the prophetic message is there and it is still clear and it is still urgent, still heard from God's messengers today. The kingdom is coming. So think rightly about the king and constantly look to him in faith trusting and resting in His message of good news for you. Loved ones, the time is urgent. The kingdom is breaking through. It will soon be here in all its fullness. And so let me ask you, in what ways do we still need to repent? In what ways do we still need to change our thinking about this King and His kingdom? For example, do we look at Him Perhaps as someone who somehow got us started in our spiritual life, but who now is just our moral example. What would Jesus do? Or do we look at our Savior as someone whose saving grace and power we're dependent on every minute, every hour, every day? Someone whom we need constantly. Those are things that we urgently need to consider. And the content of this message becomes more urgent as we move on to consider who were the first recipients of this message. You know, in the Old Testament era, it was rather exceptional to find a prophet being sent to the Gentiles. So, for example, take Jonah. Jonah was not your normal prophet, not an average prophet. Typically, God sent his prophets to his special people. The prophets were sent to reveal God's word to the people of the covenant. The prophets were sent by God to lay out the blessings and the curses that come with the covenant relationship. In fact, there's a a close relationship, close connection between prophecy and covenant. And we see this connection reflected in our text. It's already evident in verse 7. Was it a coincidence that the Lord had 12 special disciples? Do you think that it just happened to be 
that Mark wrote that the Lord called the twelve to Himself? Now, all these, these pieces, they fit together to drive home a point. The point here is that the twelve apostles are like the twelve tribes of a new Israel. A renewed, or you could say a reconstituted people of God. The emphasis here on the twelve shows that God's covenant is in the foreground in what takes place with the mission of the disciples. And this is further seen when we consider another detail, the fact that the Lord sent out the disciples two by two. Now that was wise on the part of the Lord Jesus, but it was more than that. In the Old Testament, God's law required that valid testimony needed more than one witness. The bare minimum was two. The testimony of two witnesses would be sufficient to convict a lawbreaker. In the same way, the Lord Jesus sends out these witnesses two by two. And in a few moments, we'll see that these two witnesses could not be easily dismissed. There would be charges and a conviction if they were ignored. There would be judgment. But for now, notice again that God's covenant is in the, is in the foreground here. And finally, we could again briefly take note of what Matthew reports in his gospel. Matthew 10, 5-6, Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. You see, the Lord explicitly told His disciples to focus their efforts on the covenant people of God. In their urgent prophetic task, they were to go to the people who had already heard. They had already heard the preaching of numerous Old Testament prophets. A lot of that preaching had been written down, but some of it they had heard with their own ears. They had heard John the Baptist. If nothing else, take note here, loved ones, of God's long-suffering and His patience. Because the prophets had not been welcomed among God's people. Hebrews 11, 37-38 gives us a vivid picture. Imagine it. It says there in Hebrews, they were stoned, they were sawed in two, they were put to death by the sword, they went about in sheepskins, destitute, persecuted and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and holes in the ground. That's how God's people treated their prophets. And yet, wonder of wonders, God still sends more. He sends them again and again. Doesn't give up. Doesn't that amaze you? Doesn't it amaze you how patient God is? He was patient then. And He continues to be patient with us today. It's important that we see this aspect of our text. It's important because so often the meaning of this text is restricted to missionary situations. And when I was a missionary... I would sometimes hear people say things like, you know, there comes a time when we have to shake the dust off our feet with those people on the mission field and we we just have to move on. Shake the dust off our feet. 
People would say that. But you know, the Lord didn't give this text as a guideline for missionaries and for mission boards. No, instead, this text has been given to us, the covenant people of God. It's God's word to us, sitting in the pew each Sunday, listening to the prophetic word preached. Taking this text and trying to somehow make it a guideline for mission work is like taking the proverbial square peg and trying to fit it in a round hole. This text is fit for addressing us, the covenant people of God here, but it doesn't work for dealing with people on the mission field who don't have a meaningful covenant relationship with the Lord. The Lord Jesus sent his messengers to the covenant people of his day, not to the Gentiles, at least not at that particular moment. Later on he did, of course. So if we insist on making a strict application of this text to missionary situations, this is about the Jews. It speaks to our prophetic responsibility for mission work among the Jews. You know, at the back of our book of praise, we have a number of prayers, and one of them is the prayer for all the needs of Christendom. And in that prayer, mission work among the Jews is mentioned. But what are we doing for such mission? Where are reformed missions among the Old Testament people of God? Very little is being done. If you read Romans 11, that's a difficult chapter, but I think Romans 11 is strongly suggestive that God is not yet finished with the Jews. And so this is definitely something that we need to give more thought. The Lord Jesus sent his disciples first to the lost sheep of Israel, then to the Gentiles. And the apostles in the book of Acts, they did the same. But if we take this text back into the pews here, it says that God will continue to present us with the coming of his kingdom. God will urgently make known to us, through his prophetic messengers, the good news of Jesus Christ and his good reign as king. God will persistently announce the same call to repentance that we need to hear repeatedly. And what we do with that message is a matter of eternal consequence. And we see that in our last point this morning. When the Lord gives this command to his disciples, he envisions two scenarios. The first involves their arrival into a given town in Israel. Verse 10 says, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. In that context, in that environment, entering a house implies a welcome. In other words, the Lord Jesus envisions that there will indeed be a positive response in some places. Some people will welcome Christ's ambassadors and heralds into their homes and into their lives. The Lord says that when that happens, the disciples are to remain in that home as long as they stay in that town. There may be a couple of reasons for that. The first might be to guard the integrity of the ministry. If the disciples are discontent, if they're moving around from house to house to house, 
trying to find a, a better place, some place that has better meals or a better bed or what have you, that could throw their, their ministry into disrepute. People could be saying things like, what a bunch of greedy malcontents. They're never happy with anything. A second reason might be strategic. Staying in one place would allow the apostles to be more accessible to the people and therefore more effective as prophetic messengers. Yes, we know where the, the apostles are staying. They're over at that house and they've been there for two weeks and they're still there. You can go find them there. Regardless, we can be sure that the welcome of these messengers would have been a special blessing for the covenant people in that place. After all, welcoming the ambassadors of the Lord is the same as welcoming the Lord Himself. And that same principle holds true for us today. If we welcome the preaching of the Word and the preachers who bring that Word, God promises to bless us. He will bless us, not because of the person, but because of His Word. And He will bless us through His Word with a closer relationship with Himself. Matthew 10.40 He who receives you receives me, and he who receives me receives the one who sent me. Brothers and sisters, hear what God is saying. A positive, welcoming response to Christ's prophetic messenger will result in experiencing the comforting nearness of God that is promised in His Word. That's the first scenario. Then there's a a second scenario. And it's captured in the words of verse 11. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, shake the dust off your feet when you leave as a testimony against them. And again, this is specifically addressed to the apostles working among God's people. Can't take these words as a general guideline for missionaries. The, the, that This fish will not survive outside of covenant water. Now let me explain further this thing of wiping the dust off the feet because I think this picture doesn't really speak to us the way it did to Jewish people living in the first century. It might help to imagine it as some person living with family for many years. Maybe a son or daughter, maybe a husband or wife, a father or mother. And it's a close relationship between the person and the family. But one day, somehow, the relationship falls apart. Something has happened. And the trust is gone. The love is gone. It's in tatters. And as the person is leaving the house with his suitcase in his hand, going off to the travel lodge or the Best Western or wherever else, as the person is leaving the house, as he stands at the door, he takes a family picture, an 8 by 14 family picture, and he tears it to shreds before everyone's eyes. And he doesn't say a word. He doesn't have to. The action says it all. This relationship is over. It's damaged. It's destroyed beyond repair. 
Now, it wouldn't have made any sense for him to go next door to the neighbor he hardly knows and, and do the same thing. The neighbor would look, what's wrong with you? Wouldn't communicate with him. The action only makes sense when it's done with those who are in the relationship. It loudly proclaims that the relationship has been broken. It's been breached. That's what wiping the dust off your feet would have said to the covenant people in the first century. If the disciples came to a town where the urgent prophetic message of the kingdom of God was not received in faith, where the gospel was not received in faith, they would shake their sandals free of the dust of that place. And Paul and Barnabas in Acts 13 They did that with the Jews in Antioch. Paul did the same thing with the Jews in Corinth in Acts 18. He shook the dust off. He didn't do that with the Gentiles. He did that with the Jews in that place. And that would have said to the covenant people there, with your unbelief, with your covenant breaking, you have made the earth under you unclean. You covenant people, you've become the same as the pagan world. In fact, it would be saying that they are worse than the pagan world. In Matthew 10.15, the Lord Jesus added these words, I tell you the truth, it will be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. It will be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town, that Israelite town. Now, if you stop and you think about it, you've heard those words many times, but stop and think about it. Those are weighty words. Because homosexual behavior, homosexuality, disgusts us, rightly so. But the Lord Jesus tells us that in God's eyes there is a sin more disgusting. There is a sin that is more revolting to God than sodomy. It's when God's covenant people sit under the preaching of the Word, when they hear the promises of the Gospel, And they turn off. And they will not receive it in faith. That, loved ones, is a sin far worse than sodomy. When God's people come to church each Sunday and then treat His Word with contempt, when they habitually ignore it through daydreaming or through sleeping, making the pew an extension of your bed, That is a sin far more disgusting in God's eyes than sodomy. Loved ones, don't be mistaken. God's word to us is clear and urgent this morning. Give heed to the prophetic word or you will be cut off. Please, as your pastor, I plead with you, please listen. Please really Listen 
to the preaching of the kingdom of God. See your king and hear his claims on your life. Listen to the law when we read it. That law which drives us to Christ. Listen to the gospel of grace which presents us with Christ. Christ who says, it is finished. I have done everything for you and in your place. Responding in faith, looking to Christ because of Him. I assure you that you will find forgiveness for all the times that you have ignored the Word. Or that you've been indifferent to it. Or that you've even outright treated it with contempt. Respond in faith. You will receive blessings that will blow your mind. They will impress you for eternity. But if we continue to spurn the Son, never repenting, if we show with our actions and thoughts that His Word, that the Gospel is of little interest to us, that we can just sleep through it. Heard this all before. If we show that the Gospel bores us, I hate to say it, but the Son promises judgment. And I urge each of you to think about this. It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter how young you are. It doesn't matter whether you're married or single or whatever it may be. Soon each one of us will be in either heaven or hell. You don't know when. There is no time to waste. A couple of weeks ago, before Hurricane Ike hit Texas, you could hear people saying, I don't believe it's going to come. I don't believe the weather reports. Thousands refused to evacuate. Afterwards, a woman was being interviewed and they asked her what she would do next time. She stayed. What would you do next time? What advice would you give to people who wanted to stay through a hurricane? And her advice was one word. She said, run. God has given us His weather report. Judgment is coming. Either Christ will return or you will be called before God's throne. It's coming. But there is a place of safety, a storm shelter in Jesus Christ. Flee to Him today again. Flee to Him every day. Never stop. As often as you hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus, accept it in faith. Say, yes, it's for me. I believe that message. In a moment, we're going to sing from Psalm 50. And I urge you, don't let the words of this psalm be true of you. Instead, let these words warn you. Let these words point you to Christ the Savior. The psalm says, these things you've done. And when I yet kept still, you thought I was like you, in love with ill. But now I rebuke you to your face, and you will feel the sting of my disgrace. Mark this, you who forget all that God gave you, or I will rend you, and not one will save you. Now that is what we call an urgent message. The kingdom is coming, and with it, judgment when we receive the king's ambassadors with their prophetic message, when we receive the preaching with faith, 
We can be assured. We can be comforted knowing that there is a place reserved for us at the marriage feast of the Lamb. A place around that table that has your name on it. There is no reason for fear. So long as we are resting and trusting in Christ, clinging to King Jesus and to His Word in faith, something big is about to happen. The kingdom of heaven is breaking through. We don't know the exact moment when the fullness of God's kingdom will come and He shall be all in all. But this text is a powerful and urgent reminder for all of us to be ready. When the trumpet sounds, are you going to have what's most important? Let's pray. Eternal Father in heaven, thank you for your grace in sending us your word. We have no right to it. We have no right to your patience. In fact, we have forfeited everything. We have forfeited our place in your kingdom. But you continually come after us, patiently calling us with the gospel of our Lord Jesus. Father, for your initiative For your love, we give you our heartfelt thanks and praise. Help each of us to hear your word in faith, to accept the promise of the gospel as often as we hear it. May your word bring us peace and joy and comfort in this life and in the life to come. And Father, we also pray for the spread of your word, especially among the Jews. We ask that faithful missionaries would be proclaiming to them the gospel of reconciliation through Jesus, the Messiah. We pray that you would continue bringing in Jewish people to your kingdom, that you would do so for your glory, that the great day of our Lord Jesus would come quickly. We pray in his name. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.